Welcome to High Five, where we provide you with healthcare industry insight and perspectives. Brought to you by Vynamic, High Five features industry experts and panelists who explore topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. To learn more, access resources, and connect with the Vynamic team, head on over to Vynamic.com. I'm your host, Mindy McGrath, healthcare industry advisor at Vynamic. There's been a major focus on the electronic health record and extending its capabilities and value far beyond the original intent. And on today's episode, we're looking beyond the EHR to get an understanding of where things are headed and how advancement in technology and trends are reshaping the EHR world. And to help us dive into the topic, we invited friend of Vynamic, Sharuk Tarapur, head of engineering for ArcWeb Technologies, to join us. Welcome, Sharuk, and thanks for joining us on High Five. Hi, Mindy. Thank you for having me. So I also, before we get started, want to give a big shout out to the ArcWeb Technologies podcast, Product Hacker. Hacker. Um, they cover some really fascinating topics on the technology space and innovation space. So be sure to check out Product Hacker on your favorite podcast app. Um, Sharuk, I would like to talk electronic health records first before we go beyond and above that. Okay. Um, health systems have and continue to invest pretty heavily in their electronic health record systems, really being the epicenter of their clinical delivery, even as things like user frustration and dissatisfaction levels continue to mount. I'm wondering, is there an evolution occurring with the EHR world that make them, to make them more user-friendly and maybe more current with the needs of health systems today? Absolutely. Um, There's definitely a movement towards more user-friendly systems, uh, ones that are based on modern web technologies and ones that are based on kind of expected standards from other technologies that clinicians and uh, patients are used to using outside of the healthcare domain. Um, one example of this is on the, it's very easy to see on the clinical side where um, the, the use of tablets, mobile devices, um, and the curtailing of features for those devices to get to specific data and functions that are necessary for the clinician to uh, do their job while paying attention to the patient and providing a good clinical experience to that patient um, when they're seeking care. Okay. So you've been working in this space for a while now, and I'm just curious about your opinion about electronic health records in general. When we think about their original intent and think about where I think the industry is trying to push electronic health records to do more, be more, do you think we're expecting too much from this one piece of technology or technology solution that health systems have invested so much in? Totally. <laughs> I paused because I was like, is there a better word than totally? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that this is driven mostly by the fact that um, as far as healthcare technology is concerned, maybe at, at the very beginning, you know, 40 plus years ago now, um, a lot of the innovation in the technology space as it related to, to um, healthcare was happening by the EHR vendors. And so it was very easy for a lot of the uh, financial, business operations, clinical, um, supply chain management, insurance, billing, all those uh, technical functionality that, that operate the business of the healthcare system to reside within one ecosystem, one uh, software system, and that was just a natural extension of the EHR because that was the critical and central software system that 
that everyone had some reason to touch in the um, in, in the healthcare system. Uh, I think that the logical extension to continuing that is probably a wrong one. Um, you know, uh, as technologies become more pervasive in the healthcare space, um, there are going to be different uh, technical solutions, different software systems, different vendors, different um, uh, domains that we need to bring to bear to provide the right set of solutions that uh, essentially help the healthcare provider provide good care and the patient to have access to the information they need to ensure that they have the best health outcome. And, uh, and that's gonna need, that's gonna require us to bring many solutions to the table and put together something custom for a health system as opposed to one monolithic system like we've kind of had over the last few decades. Okay. One of the interesting things you just said was custom. And I think about when electronic health records really first started to gain in popularity um, after the High Tech Act was passed back in 2000, late 2009, early 2010. Mm -hmm. And um, Progressively, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services has really tried to push this idea of interoperability. And when you think about electronic health records and how customized many of them are for the particular user, I'm wondering from your perspective, like, what do you see as the challenge of really being able to um, gain interoperability? Because right now it seems like it's something that, that – organizations are struggling with, and yet you look at a reimbursement landscape that's really trying to push in that direction right. around information sharing and, and really being able to operate in an integrated manner. So what do you think the challenges are? Right. So I think uh, regulations and, and law and the kind of carrot stick approach that CMS has taken has um, been very effective in the security aspect of things as far as data privacy, data security, um, as it relates to like portability and things like that, I think where um, things start to break down is around usability. So the usability of that data. And um, in my opinion, the, the interoperability standards that are being set um, both in regulation and um, through policy at CMS, uh, they, they're, they're well-intentioned, but they don't go far enough to meet the expectation that people have for the usability of data across the way they consume it in other domains. Like the, when, when someone thinks about how they use their data in when they do their banking or when they are interacting with, their, with higher education, um, there's, there's, a, there's a very different experience that people get from those domains when they're, when they're leveraging technology and using data than what they get from the, from the, from the healthcare system. And they've almost kind of resigned themselves to the fact that it's going to be a not ideal experience coming from the healthcare system, and they're just going to have to deal with it. And I think that the interoperability standards we have in place now are in the spirit of getting better and moving more towards a modern kind of uh, approach to the way people expect to use technology and, and access data. Um, but we're, we're, not, we're not on par yet with the, kind of, with the way that people expect to be able to use these technologies and, and this data like they do in other aspects of their lives. So is this where things like new digital solutions or add-ons could help bridge that that gap that currently exists between what the, the policy and the regulations are and what the user experience gap is that exists currently? Absolutely. So I think that 
most, uh, I think we should kind of look at it like what CMS and what regulation is putting out there as interoperability is kind of like table stakes. Like you, you're just not gonna be able to play in this game anymore unless you're providing this level of interoperability, this level of accessibility to, um, to clinical or, or patient data. And um, where health systems are gonna be able to differentiate themselves in terms of patient experience, in terms of uh, clinical efficiency, um, is gonna be where they, they take custom solutions that make that leverage existing clinical data and uh, and improves the experience of the patient so they have a better health outcome or the supply chain so that they more efficiently have the equipment and the material in place to you know to support a nurse or 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 a doctor and um, and those are going to be the differentiators for um, hospital systems as far as interoperability is concerned. But it's going to have to be driven by them as opposed to by regulation, I think. Right, right. User-driven as opposed to exactly. relying on government standards Correct. To I think the government is setting a baseline, and, and um, if we want it to be better, it's going to have to be driven by business, by healthcare, by, by users, by patients. Okay. Um, so before we got on air, we were talking a little bit about the IT blob <laughs> <laughs> and right. this idea that the EHR – uh, is such an important investment that health systems have made. And so there is this, this thinking or this belief behind it, right, of like protect it at all costs. Right. Um, curious, though, about the IT blob, at health IT blob, and how that relates to this whole belief that you have to protect your EHR at all costs. Right. Um, yeah, so, you know, r- realistically, the, the, the EHR systems that are, that are in place, you know, hospital systems are buying, procuring these systems um, with a time horizon of, of decades, right? They're, they're thinking, we're, you know, it's taking us a year to come to the decision uh, of selecting one EHR vendor. It's going to take us, you know, one to three years to put this system in place to train our hospital staff and our um, and, uh, and business staff on, on using this system. And then we're going to expect some kind of longevity from that system for, you know, definitely a decade, if, if not more. And um, and so the investment in in time, um, human capital, uh, hardware, software, uh, it's going to it's going to be in the tens of millions of you know if not hundreds of millions of dollars uh, when when you know all in, and um, when 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 a hospital has to make that kind of investment in something that I, and here's where my opinion comes in, when a hospital has to make that kind of investment, and it's not clinical, they become very guarded because. It doesn't feel like they're technology businesses, but they're slowly becoming technology businesses in the sense that they have made heavy investments in technology. They're continuously seeing indications that um, making further tech, uh, investments in technology innovation is going to be what drives their clinical outcomes and, and, and their business outcomes. And um, that, that's a scary proposition. So what I think um, we've, we've kind of, the point we've come to is that in order to protect that investment, and uh, uh, and ensure that we do no harm, and ensure that we have you know nine nines of uptime for the system, and that uh, and that all clinicians can continuously use the system, and all patients can have access to it to the effect that they have it. Um, requires that you put a lot of safeguards in place, processes, um, uh, technical uh, um, solutions that that that. Pr- uh, that control access, 
And uh, with each one of those layers of, of additional uh, complexity, it makes it that much harder to innovate on top of that, that, uh, that technical solution and on top of that, for lack of a better word, bureaucratic uh, mm. apparatus. And so um, the, the, you know, the, the reference to the, IT, the, the health IT blob is really kind of how does uh, a healthcare innovator really work through bringing a novel solution into a healthcare environment when the the um, when there's a set of hurdles to to uh, overcome that include the the EHR itself that includes the um, the need for proper security the for the need to do no harm the need to um, to ensure um, uptime and reliability and um, and it's it's far easier to say no than it is to say yes and so um, I think that that be those become the stifling points to, to innovation. Um, and uh, I, have, I have opinions on you know, how we get to, to solving those problems, but, um, but right now, innovation's kind of kept as a separate box away from, from healthcare IT, and I think that that is the crux of the problem, is that we're not allowing those two to kind of permeate each other and, and, um, and learn from each other to adapt. It's so interesting. I was not aware of that until we started talking about it, and then it makes perfect sense, right? Like logically you can understand why you'd want to protect this precious investment sure um i could also see how it impacts or slows down innovation when you have like almost two vertical paths that you're going down right. and not integrating them in a way where you're tapping into maybe the potential of i don't want to make the ehr more than it, it we've talked about how we're trying to make it more than it is but right. like <laughs> the potential of what the ehr could present um to an innovation mindset as an organization. So um, interesting, interesting uh, stuff on that. Let me talk, I, I do want to ask you one more question about sure. the EHRs and then we'll, then we'll move on. So um, when you think about how electronic health record solutions have traditionally been architected and now, you know, the, the, just the way that the healthcare system is evolving, is there a tipping point in your mind that forces electronic health uh, record vendors to actually start to kind of redistribute what their system capabilities are? Like, is there is there going to be a demand in the marketplace that says, you know, we not only are expecting electronic health records to be more than they were at their origination, but now we're demanding it. Like, otherwise, I mean, I, and take case in point would be like, look at what United Health has done, right, where they've introduced like a personal health record, and they're trying to say, well, you know, hospital systems maybe shouldn't have an electronic health record. Maybe that record belongs with the patient, and it's something the hospital systems tap into. So I'm just wondering if there's like forces, right, that start to give the Epics and the Cerners of the world um, a reason to maybe start to redistribute what their capabilities are. Right. Yeah. So um, I think that there, there there's a couple of uh, factors at play. Um, maybe the more the more technically obvious one is that um, the cost of hardware and the cost of running infrastructure is becoming. Uh, uh, a commodity price, so uh, technologies and, and solutions like AWS and Microsoft Azure um, and, and kind of public cloud solutions are becoming uh, more relevant as the cost of, of procuring and operating uh, the, the hardware stack that these EHRs have to run on um, becomes cheaper, cheaper and easier to um, kind of uh, uh, offload to, a, to, a, to another vendor. Uh, because right now, a lot of the EHRs that are that are run in like the top 20 hospitals in the country, 
Um, they're, they're run uh, on-premises, in-house by IT staff and on um, hardware that's procured by hospital systems. And so a lot of the staff and a lot of the cost of managing the EHR and these systems goes into hardware and servers and, and databases and storage and all that apparatus that, um, that, that needs to be maintained by um, qualified staff. Uh, so I think that there, there's potential for cost savings by, um, by offloading that to public cloud solutions. And, um, and for, in order for that to happen, the, the EHR itself will have to be able to be deployed on the cloud, which, uh, you know, when it was originally architect and designed, there was no cloud, there was no consideration of microservices, and I'm getting into some technical jar jargon, but there was no consideration of kind of being able to distribute out the workload of um, of the EHR and making it so that it can be disseminated into the cloud. And so uh, if these are gonna be potential opportunities for reducing costs uh, for healthcare um, uh, technology, uh, there's gonna have to be some fundamental kind of architectural changes that will happen to uh, large systems like the EHR to, to exploit them. And, um, and so, so, that, so that, that's one, one uh, example of where I think there will be some necessary changes that will be driven by something that's not, um, not the healthcare system itself. Uh, the, the other one is gonna, is gonna really come from uh, the commercial side. So there's already a lot of players out there like Apple and Google who are um, making heavy investments in being able to collect and make sense of personal healthcare data. And um, right now, they're, they're still not, they're still not the, the primary source of an individual's um, healthcare data. Uh, the EHR still is, but I believe there's a tipping point where there will be more data produced by all the sensors we have around us, you know, our Fitbits, our pacemakers, you know, um, all these devices that are collecting information, presumably, um, you know, with our permission, uh, and, uh, and, and the, how that data is um, collected, stored, analyzed, and ultimately turned into information that we use to make decisions is not gonna, as of right now, gonna reside in the EHR. It's gonna reside in systems that are um, owned commercially. And, uh, and so that means that uh, it'll be necessary for EHRs and these commercial systems to be able to talk to each other. And that will be another huge driver interoperability and a huge driver for people, technical people like myself to make decisions about where is the best place for a certain type of functionality to live, so that it provides the, you know, the most reliability, the best functionality, the best user experience to um, clinicians and patients? Yeah. So you just tapped on another aspect that I wanted to explore with you, and that was around the idea of patient experience and patient-centered care, because it's become a really significant area of discussion and focus for many health systems. So shifting gears a little bit, um, or maybe just adding on to what we were just talking about, can you talk to me a little bit about how you see healthcare organizations being able to tap into digital and other types of solutions to create better collaboration between patients and providers? Right. So um, I think that there is a, there is a, not a lot of work has been done up until like, you know, the last couple of years, I think. So there's a lot of room for improvement. And, um, and I think where we start is understanding that um, current healthcare uh, IT systems don't really treat the patient as a, as a user of the system. It's treated as a 
entity of the system in the same way that we would treat you know a uh, a, a billing code or a or a procedure um, whereas clinicians and um, and insurance providers and um, and the hospital staff are considered users of the system so they have needs to be able to access data they have the needs to be able to operate the EHR they have needs to be able to um, take action in the system and 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 provide care um, so I think what we're seeing the, the the greatest movement we're seeing in kind of patient-centric uh, technology changes to the EHR are around um, not just being able to give patients access to data, but being able to give access in a timely fashion, and then also giving them um, ways to access that information and take action on it. Whether it's they do it personally out of out of some digital context, like you know deciding to cook a healthier meal tomorrow, or um, being able to routinely monitor their 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 blood pressure so that they can kind of keep track with you know changes that they're making uh, in some offline mode. How does this play into product design? Because we talked about that a little offline, but I'm curious about, um, you know, where does this all start? I think we had talked about product design as a place that's often overlooked because um, organizations just jump into the execution piece. Totally. Yeah. Um, the pr I think that in the healthcare space, product design has – uh, there's like some unique challenges that that are presented to traditional design, and um, and a, a very good example of this is uh, in in pediatrics. So, um, you know, think about like your experience at a hospital when when you go to to see care. Um, you are both the patient and you're the guarantor. You're the one paying the bills. Um, in a in a pediatric context, the the patient and the caregiver and the guarantor could be three different people. And, um, and so uh, they have three different needs. Uh, they require three different experience sets. Um, they can take action and should be able to see things in three different ways. Um, and then this gets even harder because, uh, you know, imagine if you're, and I'm staying in the pediatric space, uh, imagine you're, you know, you're an adolescent there's certain things that you can see as an adolescent and you can you can make decisions on at the, at, as an adolescent versus as a teen versus as an adult when you're 21. And there's, you know, regulations that dictate what conversations clinicians can have with, with patients at, at each of those stages of, of development and, um, and what they can make decisions on without a parent or a guardian. Um, and, and so how all those regulations and how you provide a good experience that that leads to, to thoughtful use of data and to um, good healthcare outcomes um, is predicated on um, addressing the unique situations that that patients, that clinicians, that caregivers, that um, that parents, that uh, um, guarantors are going to be in when they have to interact with the healthcare system. So fascinating. Um, so we're going to wrap up this discussion. I want to ask you one more thing, and that is. What is one trend that's not being discussed in the healthcare industry that you think should be on people's minds? Um, well, so I, I mentioned uh, the 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 personal health data that's being generated in the in the commercial space. Um, I think that uh, the trend that I that I'm seeing that I don't think is getting enough attention is the fact that the uh, the volume and 
the rate at which we're producing data is uh, is it's exploding and it's only continuing to uh, grow faster and um, larger. And so um, I think it's really important to understand that there's just because we are producing the data doesn't mean that that looking at the data is enough. I think that historically we haven't had enough data so that when we had something to look at, we could make some kind of decision based on even one or two data points. But now we're gonna have, instead of two data points, we're gonna have two million data points. And being able to look at two million data points is not gonna be um, reasonable. Uh, and so there's gonna have to be a complement of human and computer uh, analysis of data as it's being produced in real time to provide care. And so, you know, there, I think there's all, already a lot of hype around AI to support, um, uh, you know, healthcare uh, decision making and and um, and uh, analysis and 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 things of that nature. Um, but I I believe that even within that space, there's going to have to be some complement between uh, clinicians and patients being a part of that analysis and leveraging AI and machine learning uh, in appropriate ways where human capacity is not as efficient as what a computer might be able to do. But it's a it's a complementary um, relationship that needs to be struck, not something we just offload to AI and say, hey, come back with a cool result. Right, right. So right. Such an interesting parting thought. Um, sure, thank you so much for being here and sharing your take on electronic health records and going beyond electronic health records. I do want to just remind our listeners one more time to check out Arc Web Technologies uh, podcast. It's called Product Hacker for all things technology, innovation, and product design related. And um, I hope we can have you back on the show uh, at a later date to talk about more things technology related. I can't wait. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks. That was a fantastic interview with Sharuk. And to recap what we heard, I'm joined by some of my fellow colleagues and healthcare industry enthusiast, Ryan Hummel, our provider sector advisor. Hey, everybody. And Mike Catone, who is a director with a focus on technology, a passion for innovation, and I also think an element of pragmatism. Definitely a hint of pragmatism. <laughs> a hint is right. So guys, I want to get to an idea that Sharuk mentioned regarding the collective industry expectation of the electronic health record. We've talked a lot about it. Um, we've talked about how Many of the sectors within the healthcare industry really look at the electronic health record as almost like this epicenter of data um, and how it will be the thing that holds, I guess, the truth to a certain degree. Um, there's a lot of passion on this subject. So I want to jump in and just ask, do you think we're expecting too much from electronic health records and the way that they have been established? I, I do because I think the way that they've been established – they were primarily intended to contain and record information. And a lot of players in the industry now want, they want that data to power services and to power technologies. So you're, you're taking something that basically was created to be an accessible kind of dumping ground of information. And I think a lot of people in the industry see opportunity in being able to use that data to power other offerings or other products or connect various providers, but it wasn't necessarily set up to do that. And you're taking something that was really static and, and basically meant to kind of reside within the health system that's implementing the MR, and you're 
you're really expecting it to cascade that information to lots of different players and be able to get easily plugged into. And that that just wasn't, in my opinion, wasn't necessarily what the first intention of it was. I, I would say I, I tend to disagree a little bit with you. First of all, I love the, the intro that we gave Mike Catone. I was very simple and short, and he has all of these titles. I was really proud of you, Thank Mike. You. But I would just uh, I, I would add um, that I don't think we're expecting too much from the EHR per se, but I think we're expecting folks at the health system and IDM level to do what to do with the EHR. Mm-hmm. I think that um, providers traditionally have um, treated patients and treated patients really well, and we're asking them to do something in addition to that in the last, I don't know, generation of these things. And I think that um, the EHRs have the ability to create data that I think there are companies, firms, groups outside of the four walls of the hospital that really could partner with these health systems in a way to triangulate the right information and take that data and combine it with real world data and make really smart decisions in the future. So I I would argue that we're not expecting too much from the EHR as a system but we may be expecting too much out of our provider sector to do that work. Mm, yeah. And that's part of why we we titled this this episode Beyond the EHR because that, like my take on it is that the electronic health records have been set up for a purpose and that um, the pressure is probably going to be on some of these larger electronic health record vendors to try to figure out how do they start to introduce um, other types of digital maybe bolt-ons to help enable some of the things that you talked about, Mike. Um, and some of it is is capability, right? And like having the right types of skill sets and capabilities to really understand how the data that resides in that electronic health record becomes actionable in a way that maybe goes beyond just the clinical delivery of care, mm-hmm. um, but extends into other kind of value creation drivers. So I'm going to split. I could go either way yeah. on this one, to be honest with you. Um, it was interesting, though, listening to Sharuk's uh, assessment that he felt like the electronic health record was really set up with purpose in mind, um, and that while a lot of these these EHR vendors are trying to remodel um, some of the core aspects of the electronic health record, that it it still has that core purpose in mind. And so that's where the idea of like surrounding it or wrapping it with innovation and digital um, solutions becomes even more important to providers if mm-hmm. they really expect mm-hmm. to, to get more out of the electronic health record. I, I would add, just a, I completely agree with that, Minnie. So I may be more in the middle ground as well. I could go either way. But I would say that um, what's really important in that is the idea of establishing role clarity around that EHR and making sure that health systems know what is my role in this EHR world. And I will get one cut lower and to say that um, if it is to capture the right information at the right time into the EHR consistently and in a standard way, they should that we should focus on that because I think what we've seen within health systems is it's not always the case, and if they focus on that and we know that there's there's only a, a finite amount of energy you can focus on, that would enable some of this information in the EHR to get better utilized. Right, and that's an interesting point because that's another thing that Sharuk and I were talking about in the interview was this whole idea of usability of data and the experience of leveraging technology in healthcare and how consistently inconsistent it is if you look you know not only at providers but beyond providers into the healthcare industry as a whole is that we are at so many different stages of the life cycle in terms of 
how data is being used and the experience that different sectors and even different organizations have on leveraging technology. So thoughts on on that and kind of where we reside with just this whole idea of we're, we're creating so much data, but we're really inconsistent in how it's being used. Well, I, I also have a thought about that. And, and one of them is, you know, I think health systems and the healthcare industry as a whole <clears throat> is, I think are actually hedging their bets on where we're going to look into the future. So, you know, if we, if we retool um, the ACA, for example, Obamacare, um, and you'll focus more on value-based healthcare, then we're going to make sure that we're using that data in a different way. If, for instance, the same probability, I would say that we remove Obamacare and we continue in this fee-for-service model longer than we think, that would kind of splice the way we use the data in a different way. So I think that it's a real interesting future look at the way that we use this information because it's actually two different ways to look at healthcare as a whole. And you only have one, H one EHR. So if you're doing it in two different ways, it's really hard to capture the important information that you're trying to get from an EHR. Yeah, and I think that there's there's something to be said about using data kind of on a patient-by-patient -patient level uh, and then looking at the data broader across the system, across disease states, across uh, different regions of the country. And with it, with an EHR being set up to kind of keep the uh, the personal record of an individual patient and that kind of being one of the initial main purposes uh, to be able to keep all that information accessible to the physician. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to look like to look at that data at a level above uh, and then start to really think about some of the really interesting applications um, that you could that you could actually create when you're looking at broad patient pools and you're looking at um, especially if we get into um, you know a, a single pair type uh, of environment in the next decade or two decades um, being able to understand what all of this personal health information that's being collected in the EHR what what is that showing us on a disease progression standpoint like when can we when can we use that data to create an earlier intervention in a disease state that we think is happening and where is that line between you know, a, a clinical trial that's vetted and, and has, you know, the specific statistical rigorous analysis that goes along with that. And then where can you start to see trends in the, this world of EHR data where you might be able to make a treatment decision two years before you would have without that data? And, and how does that impact public health and population health? So that, that's, that's what I think one of the biggest, um, biggest possibilities is from you know a standpoint of we have all of this data how can we use it um, but to your point it, it's got to be in a consistent it's got to be read out in a consistent way and recorded in a consistent way and that's going to require constantly updating standards you know mm -hmm. as, as these systems get more um, get more technically advanced and where maybe we start bringing in personal information from wearables um, we're going to have to have some kind of standards to to actually record this data if we want to get any of the benefit of collecting it. Yeah, well, I think it speaks to the very heart of interoperability, right? And the idea that you have to have, um, even if you have multiple electronic health records out there, the ability to share the information. And, and we see it sort of vetting out right now in the reimbursement structures that CMS is, is um, piloting. But I think that speaks to the very heart of, of interoperability because it's the only way we're going to get to see aggregate views 
of populations or like hotspotting certain populations in areas where you could actually take actionable strategy um, that might be more preventative in nature versus waiting to until acuity levels hit, you know, and, and people are actually coming through the doors of the hospital. Yeah, it's actually, <clears throat> I think about the two words of standardization and personalization, and they're kind of two, in, in the standard sense, they're, op- they're opposite words. They're, they may have opposite meanings, but what we're both say- what we're saying, I think, is the ability to braid together standardization and personalization into one collective, and that's very difficult to do. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. It, it struck a, another chord with me that when you were just mentioning this, one of the things that came up in the conversation with Sharuk was this whole notion that when you really think about a health system, um, they are in the technology business just by virtue of the amount of investment that they are making in technology solutions. And they have to because, right, data and technology have such an impact on clinical outcomes as well as business outcomes. And you think about how the reimbursement landscape is is shifting. And the basis of all of that is around performance and around the ability to, to tell your clinical value story. Um, so I'm just curious, when you think about that aspect of it, and you think about how health systems are also trying to innovate in terms of delivery of care, in terms of how they think about determin- you know, mm-hmm. social determinants, mm-hmm. um, so you have an innovation area, and then you have this investment that these health systems who operate on pretty you know, uh, low margins, they've made huge investments in technology. So my question is, like, when you think about those two things, is, is protecting the technology investment good for innovation, or does it stifle innovation? And I'm going to ask Mike first, since he is our innovation uh, you know, aficionado. He probably has the better answer yeah. anyway. <laughs> so I, I think that... Whether whether that stifles innovation or whether that allows broad space for innovation depends on the ability of the team that is that's trying to innovate um, with that information or within that EHR. The ability of that team to kind of leave the current state untouched for its main purposes. So can a physician go into the EHR and see the latest notes? Can they see the medications? Can they see all of the history and easily kind of access all of that information? And it, can you can that team give confidence to the clinicians that whatever new technology they're working on or whatever experiments they're running within the EHR and, and looking at the data, if they can give them the confidence that's a, that that's not going to impact the patient experience, then I think they have to once they level set and and, and give them the confidence that it's not going to actually ruin any part of the physician patient interaction then they have the ability to say we can turn all of this information into a really powerful tool for you to manage your entire patient population so your visits are going to be the same your FaceTime with your with your um, patients are going to be the same the screens might look a little different right now as we as we try and streamline um, the way that we communicate information to the patients um, but that requires not only talking to the clinicians directly but also giving leadership the confidence that you know you're not going to you're not going to you know obscure an allergy screen mm-hmm. you know when you're working on and you're working on something you're never going to put patient safety um, in question so I think that as long as they do that groundwork um, 
they they'll be able to innovate and they'll be able to experiment with the data and with new technologies and processes to actually get into the HR and pull out information that they can turn into products. Yeah, because there is definitely a mindset, right, of protect the ele electronic health record at all costs. And so it feels like there's been a lot of guardrails put up around that. And so I could see, I actually could see how that could stifle innovation teams who feel like they almost have to design around those barriers or protective mm -hmm. guardrails that have been established, whether it, you know, whether they're realistic or not, or whether they feel like they can go through them or not, it feels like they're probably trying to figure out how do we, how do we get around this mindset that's been probably established in these organizations that we've, we've got to protect the EHR and nobody's touching it. Mm -hmm. I don't and know, it, Ryan, your, your take on it. Well, well it's, seen. it's funny taking a step back or a step up, I guess. I was just thinking about over the last 10 years, if you would have asked, you mentioned CIOs at Health Systems, what that stood for 10 years ago was Chief Information Officer. Mm -hmm. And I'd say 99% of the time in Health Systems, it's Chief Innovation Officer now. And, and they're playing this bifurcated role of innovation and making sure that technology is at the forefront. Um, so it's I was just thinking about that as, as Mike and you were answering the question. Uh, what I was going to say about the idea of the EHR and if it stifles innovation is, it, it, just like many things, I think it depends. Interestingly enough, I think EHRs play this really somewhat unique role in the healthcare industry or health system industry insofar as um, they are the one-stop shop for basically clinical outcomes, patient experience, provider and physician experience. And then also they're, they're meant to help drive business outcomes like cost avoidance and revenue. And then also add in a little patient safety and harm. And it's just a very... Um, unique situation and I would say almost impossible situation to think that one system is going to help drive all four of those in the quadruple aim or triple aim depending on your health system's way of working and I just uh, you know I, I, I w went into this answer saying that I think it's good for innovation um, and I'm you know quickly saying that it's it makes it a lot more difficult to focus and uh, reach outcomes that you really need with only one 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 technology Unless, and this is what we're seeing with innovation officers, they're, they're forward thinking and partnering with other digital technology firms. It's not just the idea of buying a bolt-on service. Mm -hmm. It's actually partnering and sharing risk and getting real data and then having the confidence and the trust that that data is secure that you can actually partner with some of these subject matter experts mm -hmm. to make it real. And I think you also, one of the one of the kind of pitfalls of, of bringing in a, a third-party technology solution is um, looking for, uh, looking to buy a solution and, without first identifying the problem you're trying to solve. So I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways that you could work with an EHR um, to amplify its ability to um, directly connect with patients or change the way you manage population health. Um, but I think, you know, health systems would probably be best to kind of prioritize what's the thing they really want to focus on in 2020. And if that's um, readmissions and cutting down on readmissions, like actually looking for a product that they can integrate with their EHR that maybe it's a predictive algorithm that predicts re readmissions. Um, uh, really identifying the problem that you want to solve before you go in and just try and make my EHR smarter or make my data work for me. Um, that broad of a challenge, uh, you're you're likely not going to get the type of outcome um, that you might if you have a narrower, more focused goal. Such a good point. Great point, Mike. I, I, I Loud clapping if I didn't want to hear right. our listeners' ears, <laughs> but that's a brilliant point. So let's go beyond the EHR since 
that is the title of the episode. <laughs> um, we've talked a lot, right, about how healthcare leaders have placed so much emphasis on really trying to enable this concept of patient-centeredness or patient-centricity through the use of technology and innovation. So my question for you is, where do you think healthcare organizations start when it comes to patient-centricity and those enabling technologies that are available? I think they should start by talking to the patients. I think if you if you say one of your goals is to be more patient-centric um, and you're not talking to patients, you're missing a fundamental viewpoint. Um, but you're also, you're also, you might get started on a completely wrong path. Like you might take that for in that decision tree of where you want to focus, you, your first decision may be wrong if you don't talk to patients first. Um, because if you create like technologies or solutions um, that address your business needs first, and patients don't, there's no Venn diagram between the patient need and the business need there, then you're just building something for your organization. So I think if, if organizations, and this goes for any sector, this goes for health te healthcare technology, this goes for life sciences companies. Um, in a lot of my work, I've had the privilege of talking to patients uh, and talking about some of the ideas that the organization that I'm working with was, was kicking around. And actually hearing that personal one-on-one -on -one feedback and hearing more than just an answer to a survey question is really illuminating. So I think that's the absolute first thing to do is to actually talk to patients. I'm glad that, Mike, you had said talk to patients first because that um, insinuates you're going to talk to someone else afterwards because I think it is very important, I'll say vital, to talk to patients first and also talk to the providers and the and the essential services that are providing care for the for the patients as well. You know, <clears throat> there's a lot of new found ideas around re relationship-based care, for example, as a scientific method, and that's really getting to know and understanding. It comes back to, you know, different industries' approach to saying yes, the customer is always right, but really they may be second in line because getting um, folks that are actually producing the widget or or caring for the patients around the same goals um, is, is just as important and therefore you can treat the patient and also in a, in a healthcare world where there is there is a disparate education of the type of information that a patient can understand from a healthcare perspective and what the provider is providing sometimes it's, it's great data to get information from the patients and by talking to patients I also think you mean watching patients observing patients mm -hmm. tracking patients um, but making sure that you're getting provider feedback early as well because they they understand what the words mean in healthcare um, and triangulating that together. I think it's the right next step. Great. So that does it for this episode. I want to thank you for tuning in to High Five. For links to resources discussed in this episode, to subscribe to the podcast or connect with the Dynamic team on your initiatives, please visit us at Dynamic.com. Thank you, and we look forward to sharing our healthcare industry insights and information on future episodes. Have a great day.